Section two of the Moon Master by Charles Diffin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part two. The shining cylinder of aluminum alloy was hurtling through space. No longer was it a ship of the air. It had thrown itself far beyond that thin gaseous envelope surrounding the earth, out into the black and empty depths that lay beyond and in it were two men, each reacting, in his own way, to an adventure incredible. One was deep in the computation of astronomical data, the other a thrill with a quivering, nerve-shaking joy that was almost breathtaking. A metal grate that had formed the rear wall of their cabin was now the floor. Winslow had thrown the ship into a vertical climb that made of their machine a projectile shooting straight out from the earth. Gravitation held them now to the grating floor, and stronger even than the earth pull was the constant acceleration of motion that made their weight doubled again and again. The inventor moved ponderously, with leaden limbs, to take sights from the windows above, to consult his maps of the sky, check and recheck his figures. But Jerry had eyes only for the earth they had left. Flat on the grating he lay, his eyes over a thick glass in a protuberance of the shell that allowed him to stare and stare at what lay directly below. He watched the familiar things of earth vanish in fleecy clouds. Through them there formed the great ball, where oceans and continents drew slowly into focus and now he was filled with a sense of great solitude. The world, in its old familiar companionship, was gone, probably forever. The earth, his earth, his world, that place of vast distances on land and on sea, of lofty mountain ranges and heaving oceans, of cities, countries, continents, was become but a toy, a plaything from the nursery of some baby god hanging so quiet in space he could almost reach and take it in his hands. Beyond it, the sun was blaring, a hard outlined disk in the black sky. Its rays made shining brilliance of a polar ice cap. Jerry Foster closed his eyes and drew back from the glass. Again, he was aware of the generator, whose endless roar reverberated in their compartment. A smaller but similar apparatus was operating on one of the liquids from the inventor's laboratory to generate oxygen and release it inside the room. An escape valve had been set to maintain one atmosphere of pressure about them. Water dripped from a condenser, where both gases were formed to burn into water vapor and cool to liquid form. One of the windows below admitted a shaft of direct sunlight. It illumined their room with a faint glow. It would never cease, Jerry knew. They were in a place of eternal sunshine, yet a realm of an endless night. Above him, as Jerry raised his head, the windows framed nothing but utter blackness, save where some brilliant point marked the presence of a star. He missed the soft diffusion of light that makes daylight on earth. Here was only the one straight beam that entered one window to make a circle of light on the opposite wall. 
Jerry looked from a window of heavy glass at the side. This had been the bottom of their ship when they left. And he found in the heavens the object of their quest. Clear-cut and golden was half the circle. The rest glowed faintly in the airless void. He tried to realize the bewildering fact. The moon, this great globe that he saw, was rushing, as were they, to their trysting place in space. Jerry stared until his eyes were aching. His mind refused to take hold upon the truth he knew was true. He was suddenly tired, heavy, with a weariness that was an aftermath of his emotional turmoil. He let his heavy body relax, where some blankets had piled themselves upon the grated floor. The roar of the generator faded into far silence as he slipped into that strange, spaceless realm that men call sleep. The human mind is marvelous in its power of adjustment, its adaptability to the new and the strange. The unbelievable is so soon the commonplace. Jerry Foster was to sleep more than once in this tiny new world of Winslow's creating, this diminutive meteor inside which they lived and moved and thought and talked. The fact of their new existence soon ceased as a topic of wonder. They alternated in their rest, and they counted the passage of time by the hours their watches marked, then divided these hours into days out there where there were no days. Seven of them had passed when the hour came that Winslow chose for checking their speed. They were driving directly toward the moon, which was assuming proportions like those of Earth. The pilot admitted a portion of the blast to a bow port, and the globe ahead of them gradually swung off. The pilot was reversing their position in space to bring the powerful blast of their stern exhaust toward the moon, so as to resist somewhat its increasing pull. Now their stern windows showed the approaching globe. It was slowly expanding. They were falling toward it. The inventor moved the rheostat, and from behind them the stern blast rose to a tremendous roar. The deceleration held them with unbearable weight to the rear of the cabin. No thought now for the shining earth, yellow and brilliant, in the velvet sky above. Jerry Foster watched, through the slow hours, as the globe beneath them enlarged and expanded in ever-increasing slowness. Slowly their falling motion slackened as they cushioned against the terrific thrust of the exhaust below. The globe ceased to grow and held constant. Winslow cut the exhaust to a gentler blast. They were definitely within the moon's gravitational field. Their last hold upon the earth was severed. The great globe was revolving beneath them. How about it? Foster asked breathlessly. It doesn't revolve like that. Not the moon. We have approached from the earth's side, said the other, but we have overshot it. Say that the moon is revolving, or say that we are swinging about it in an orbit of our own. It is all the same thing. And soon, he added slowly, we shall see. He faltered, and his lips trembled, and refused to frame the words of a dream that was coming true. We shall see the lost side of the moon. What will it be? What will it be? To Foster, the whole experience 
had now the unreality of a dream. He could not bring himself into mental focus. His thoughts were blurred, his emotions dead. They were approaching the moon, he told himself. It was the moon that was there below them, slowly enlarging now, as their own earth had hung below them, but dwindling when they left. The moon, he told himself over and over, the moon, it is real, but the numbness in his brain would not be shaken off. His voice when he spoke was casual. He might have been speaking of any commonplace, a ball game, or a good show. The sun is coming from my right, he said. We are going around toward the dark side of the moon. Shall you land there? Winslow shook his head. Wait, he said, and watch. Jerry returned to a circle of glass. There was a shading of light on the surface below him. From the right, the sun's brilliance threw black shadows and bright beams transversely over a wilderness of volcanic waste. And beyond where the rays could not reach was a greater desolation of darkness, its blackness relieved only by a dim light. He realized with a start of amazement that the dim light he saw was that of their own earth far above it. It was lighting their approach to this sister orb. Their side motion was swift as they drew nearer. Another hour and more, and they were drawing toward an expanse of utter darkness. The earthlight was fading where they passed. They were approaching, in very fact, the other side of the moon. What was below? What mysteries awaited them? He shivered, despite the warmth of the generator, cherry red, that heated the snug cabin, shivered with unformed thoughts of unknown terrors. But he forced his voice to calm steadiness when he repeated his question to Winslow. Must we land there, he asked, in the dark? The inventor was piloting his ship with ceaseless concentration. Their falling speed was checked. They were close enough so that the whistling of air was heard merging with the thunder of their exhaust. He moved the rheostat under his hand, and the thunder slackened. No, he said, you are forgetting your astronomy. This other side is subject to the same conditions as the near side. The sun shines on them alike, but alternately. We are rounding the limb away from the sun. We find, as you see, a darkness that is absolute except for the light of the stars. Here the earth never shines, and the sun only during the lunar day. But the sun is creeping down this other side. Their day, equal to fifteen of our days, is beginning. We shall come into the light again. I am checking our motion across the surface. We shall land, when it seems best later on. There will be light. The thin, strong hands of the pilot laid over the current and valve controls. The ship slowly swung and dipped to a horizontal position. A blast from below held them off from the moon. A bowport was roaring as their speed slowly decreased. Minutes merged endlessly into long hours. As Jerry's eager eyes strained to detect some definite form on the surface beneath, dimly, a glow appeared far ahead. Slowly, the darkness faded. They were moving ahead, but their wild speed was checked. 
and slowly the new earth below took on outline and form as the sun's glow crept over it. What would the light disclose? His mind held irrationally to thoughts his reason would have condemned. He found himself watching for people, for houses, lights gleaming from windows. This in a region of cold that approached the absolute zero. The reality came as a shock. End of Part 2